You know, a lot of people catch this after the fact online as well. We're in the middle of a series right now. Uh, we're in our third week, and it's called Resolute. And, you know, of course, January is that time of year where people often make New Year's resolutions, and they think about, okay, what can I commit to? And, you know, how many of you have already broken your resolutions? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, it just it happens. It's just it's, it's life. And so we, in preparation, praying through uh, what... Uh, January might look like from the pulpit as we preach, as we uh, desire to follow Jesus together every day and everywhere with everyone. We ask the question, what if God was to make a resolution through us? You know, it's no secret. Scripture is very clear that God, uh, to say that God cares about us puts it lightly. God is committed to us thriving more than we can ever fathom. Actually more committed to our thriving than, than we are. Because God has the means and the perspective and the ability to, uh, to steer us in the direction that he longs for us to live. And so what if God uh, was resolved to, to grow us in a way through the power of God's spirit? And so in the first week, we explored what would it look like for us to see as God longs for us to see. To see God, to see ourselves, to see each other from God's point of view. Second week, to serve as Christ serves. That we would live our lives not uh, looking for others to serve us, but that in the same way that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And what, what freedom that could look like. And as we get to the third week, you know, we're following this alliteration, letter S in the beginning. We get to this word in the third week. Uh, you know, I, I think across the word, uh, world, uh, historically, this, this word has been, you know, every, it seems like everybody loves this word. I mean, they write songs about it. I see it on coffee mugs and bumper stickers and you know, people name their kids different translations of this in different languages. Uh, you know, it, it, it's this great word. Uh, it's the word submit. No? You didn't name your kid a, no? A derivative of that? Now, some of you are like, no! I brought my neighbor for the first time to church. No! Don't talk about this word. You know, this word submit, uh, boy, we've really uh, steered that word in the wrong direction as humans, haven't we? Actually, if we look at it from a, a God's point of view, this word submit is actually a really beautiful and rich word. Beginning with our relationship with God and then spilling over into our relationships with every other human being. But the problem is, as humans, we... Um, you know, we're broken and we're selfish, and that's true across the board throughout history. And so what we often do is we, we live our lives rather than my life for yours. We live a your life for mine sort of life. And what's interesting is over the years we've actually we've changed the definition away from a biblical word uh, defined to this. In fact, I took a look at Webster's Dictionary, and this is how it defines the word submit. Yielding to a superior force or to the authority or will of another person. Now, right from the get-go, that definition says uh, that some people or things are more powerful than you, more superior to you. And maybe if you're like me, maybe I, I begin to get a little uncomfortable. My, my, my blood pressure starts to go up because, wait, 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 but, but aren't people equal? How can you say that one person is superior over somebody else. And that's what's happened over the centuries, over the millennia, uh, out of the brokenness of who we are. We, as individuals, 
as groups, as people groups, as races, as nations have a proclivity to, to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, that, that we are more superior than somebody else. And, and this manifests itself in the workplace. Can you think of somebody that you work with that, uh, that comes across as far superior to everybody else? Are you that person? <laughs> you know, it spills over into our, our, our friendships. You know, there's always that one friend that thinks they're always right, but they're never wrong. Or are you that person? You know, this is true in our, our, our marriages uh, with kids and with, you know, grandparents and parents. You know, it, it, it's part of who we are. And the sad thing is over the years, over the, the millennia, we've even, uh, in our brokenness, in our longing to be more superior than other people, and we make others, we don't give them a choice, we force them, we say it's mandatory to submit themselves to us. We actually, we bend Scripture to submit to us. And we, and we use Scripture uh, to cause others to be less than so that they must submit to us. And so with all of that complexity, I, I hope to unravel all the knots in about 20 minutes. No, I don't. Are you kidding me? But here's what I want us to do. I want us to come to a text of Scripture. Uh, and with that, we're going to see something I believe. And I, and I pray that we would walk out of this place collectively. We would say, wow, what a beautiful picture that we would see actually an opportunity to thrive in something that can actually counterintuitively set us free. Now, before I get to that, let me say this. Uh, we're all good at submitting. The problem is that we, we submit to the wrong things. And even if you think you're the type of person that says, well, I, I don't submit to anyone or anything. Oh, you don't, do you? Let me give two very practical examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, just in the last week, an area that I did not submit and an area that I did and the, the ramifications of that. Okay, uh, over the years, I've, uh, I, I've certain times a year, I sneeze, I cough, my eyes get itchy, and people said to me, you should go to an allergist. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go to an allergist. I don't have allergies. I finally go. Go on Monday. They do the prick, you know, all over the arm, 100 things, and all of a sudden, I just want to rip my forearm off because something's going on. Doctor comes in uh, 15 minutes later, and he says, wow, okay. And he sits down, he's kind of laughing at me. I'm like, doctor, what's going on? And he sits down, and he begins to write down all these numbers on this piece of paper. He says, okay, here's the deal, Drew. This was this past Monday. He says, you are highly allergic to cats and dogs in Southern California. <laughs> Quote, unquote. What? And he goes in all the details. He says, you know all the grasses in, that are in California? You're highly allergic to them. You know all the weeds that pop up in California? You're highly allergic to them. You know the oak tree outside your office? You're allergic to that. You know the sycamores that you love to climb with your son? You're allergic to those. Olive trees, highly allergic. Arizona ash, highly allergic. The cat that you love, Sophie, you're highly allergic. Did you say amen? Ron. Are you not a cat man? Okay. Because I'm a cat man, you know. And I'm a dog man. And I'm a Southern California man, right? So here's the thing. Uh, I am not submitting to that truth. I don't want to believe it. I am living in a different universe. Yes, I'm taking the once-a-day pill. I'm doing the <gasps> inhaler. I'm doing the eye drops. Uh, I am not submitting to that truth. I don't want to believe it. And it's causing havoc in my life. I want to rip my eyes out. 
my assistant and has to literally pull my hand away because I'm immediately just scratch rubbing my eye. I'm a mess. Because I'm not submitting to that truth, I'm not praying about it, I'm not seeking uh, more help from doctors to get another opinion, and, and I'm trying to live in this alternate universe, and it's, it's wrecking my life, okay? Different story. Yesterday, I went with my son up to Fraser Park, and it was very, very cold. That was the point, uh, to go up there and to play in the snow. And, uh, you know, my parents taught me, you should respect the road conditions. Any of you else uh, respect the road conditions when you're out there? Just like five of us. Okay, no wonder. We, we are the problem in L.A., I guess. Uh, and so I get up there, and it's 28 degrees up in Fraser Park, and, and it's, it's, there's snow coming down, and there's ice on the road. Now, what I want to do, what Drew wants to do is go as fast as possible to get to the snow so I can have more hours of time to play with my son so that I can get back in time to, to join my wife and my five-month-old. That's what I want to do. I, I, I just want to blow through it. I've got four-wheel drive. I've got the time. I can handle it. But what do I do? I submit to the reality that the road <laughs> demands of me to slow down. And so what do I do? I slow down. And I creep and I crawl. And there's cars right behind me. They must have been locals thinking that they could just blow right on through. And I pull over for something they go past me. And what do I do? I slow down enough and I submit to that reality. And it's completely the opposite thing that I want to do because I love my son. Judah, I don't want him to, I'm not thinking about me, I'm thinking about him. And I'm thinking about my wife being very upset if I get in an accident, you know. And so I'm thinking about all this, and so I submit to that reality. It was a beautiful day. I made it there. I made it back. Now, uh, we, we live our lives in a very practical way, uh, and we submit to things. But my premise is that we, myself, all of us, we often we submit to the wrong thing. Some of you have been told that you'll never make it, that you're not good enough, that you're always going to be a mistake, you're always going to be a mess up, and you've chosen to submit to that truth, and you don't have courage. Uh, you live in fear. Some of you uh, have been told that your marriage, uh, it's not worth fighting for. Uh, it's not worth... Uh, Pursuing, you just walk away. It's just you know, count, you know, cut your losses. It's fine. So you, you've submitted to that truth. Some of you, uh, a doctor has said something, and the doctor says, it, you know, it's so bad. It's 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 you're, you're not going to get healed. I, I wouldn't even. I know you're a believer. I, I wouldn't even pray about that. I mean, I don't even believe in that sort of. Some of you, you've submitted to that that reality, and that's just things, and that's just words. Now, some of us, we have had people, and I say this with. My heart breaking, I know, because some of us have experienced abuse in all of its forms. And so we so react against this word submit because tied up in that word is memories and experiences. So I acknowledge that in 15 minutes we can't unravel the complexities of, of humanity. And that's why we journey together. Uh, that's why to be a follower of Christ and to be the church is more than just an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday, that 
that, that we exist to grow together, to be in community with one another. And gosh, if you haven't signed up for one of those life groups for this Lent season, another great environment for you to, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be reminded of who God says you are. But let's go to this text and let's leave this place in a different place than where we were when we came in. Why don't you go to uh, John 5 and uh, my friend who loves cats more than anyone else on earth. What page is it, brother? 866 in your pew Bibles. And uh, if you're joining us online, we're, we're going through the New Revised Standard Version. That's typically what we read through each week. And uh, this section of John 5, 16 through 24. And by the way, the pew Bibles, that red book in front of you, if you're here in the room in the sanctuary, would love for you to have a Bible. If you don't own one, take that home with you. Would much rather have it open and impacting your life, transforming your life, than closed throughout the week. We can easily replace it. But let me read. I'm going to jump right in the middle of the action here. Uh, John 5, 16 through 24. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so as we encounter this, I've got three things for you. First, a question. Second, a perception. And third, a declaration. Here's the, here's the question. Is Jesus trustworthy? That's what it comes to. Wow, that was quick. Okay, yes. So you've come to that, you've come to that place where you, you answer yes. And there's some here who maybe wouldn't quickly say yes. And I hope very quickly to make the case that he is trustworthy. And yet, for many of us that say yes, it's true on paper, but are we actually submitting to Christ in every area of our life? Those are two very different things. Now, I want to make the case, first of all, that Jesus is able and that he's good. How's he able? Well, look at the things that Jesus says about himself. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at how many times he references himself as the Son. Now, the nation of Israel, they knew, uh, as Christians do, who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who are engrafted into uh, the nation of Israel and God's people. To, to believe in God as Father means that you are a child of God. Now, Jesus doesn't just say he is a child of God. He says he is the Son First title that he gives himself. He says, I am the son. Second, he goes on. And in verse 
21, he says, Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. In Deuteronomy 23, God says, I alone have the ability to give life. Nobody else can do it. I alone am the creator God. And so Jesus says, not only am I the Son, he says, I am the creator. We see in John 1, we see it in Colossians 1, we see it in Hebrews 1, we see it all throughout Scripture that Jesus... Is the creator God who has no beginning and has no end. That all things were created through him and for him and by him. And Jesus is saying, I give life in the same way that the Father gives life. These are huge statements to make. To make the case that he is able, that he is a powerful, that he has authority. The third is this. Verse 22, it says, the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. He says, not only am I the son and the creator, I am the judge of all of humanity. That's my resume. I alone, Jesus says, have that authority to judge all of humankind. But even more, he goes on. Take a look in verse 23. So that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He says... Not only am I the son, the creator, the judge. He says, I am the object of worship. He doesn't just allow people to worship him. He demands their worship. Yeah, there's other instances in scripture where people bow down and they worship a human. And they say, no, 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 not me. I'm just a human. There's other parts in scripture where people bow down and they worship an angel. And the angel says, no, 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 don't, don't bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, I alone am worthy of worship. But then he goes on. Take a look at this. Verse 24, very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. He says, I am the son. I am the creator. He says, I am the judge. I am the object of worship and I am the redeemer. I've given you life twice. You are the reason Jesus, when we look at him, we can say, you are the reason I have breath. I have a heartbeat. I have neurons that fire in my brain. You are the reason. You are the creator God. And you're the reason that I can live for all of eternity in God's presence because of my faith and trust in you. Now, to say all those things, you cannot say that Jesus is just a great man. A lot of people think he is just a great man. Oh, a great teacher. Wow, a great miracle. I mean, wow. I mean, pretty successful starter of a religion. He is so much more than that. Or he's so much less than that. And here's the very difficult thing, and here's the honest thing, is that you have to make a decision. What do you do with Jesus? He's either everything or he's nothing. You can take the founder of every other major world religion out of that religion and still have the religion. You cannot take Christ out of Christianity because it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not just a way to live. It is centered around the person of Jesus Christ who is able, who is the sustainer, the giver of life, the creator, the son, the object of our worship, the redeemer, all of it. He says you have to choose. Do you believe who I say I am? And it's so easy for us as Christians, especially in modern America, to pick and choose the things that we like about Jesus, to lower him in our minds. We can never lower him in reality. We just lower him in our minds, and we pick and choose the things that we like, and Jesus says, I want none of that. 
You either accept me as Lord of your life, and all the, the things will spill out of that. I will be your friend. I will be your comforter. I will be your deliverer. I will be your redeemer. But you cannot take Lord out of my life and just have me be your friend. It's all or nothing. And not only is he, is he able, but he's good. And I love how C.S. Lewis says this in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's this question where they, they reference Aslan, the, the, the figure of Christ in the story. And the question is, you know, is he safe? And the character responds, oh, no, he's not safe, but, but he's good. And I love the fact that Jesus, as, as the son, as the creator, as the judge, the object of worship, as the redeemer, takes all of that power, all of that authority, and he lays down his life for you. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What's the joy that was set before him? We've talked about this before. It's you. He went through all that suffering, all that sorrow, all the, the hurt. He, he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And here's the amazing thing. When you look at the life of Jesus, he submitted perfectly to the Father. We just read that section. He says, I can't do anything apart from what God calls me to do. That I will, I intend, I, I volitionally choose to do the things that God wills for me to do. And the amazing thing is that Jesus lived the perfect life as an example of my life for yours. The very end of his life, and I love this, one of my favorite examples in John 18, he is uh, arrested by a detachment of Roman soldiers. In that time, they met over 300 soldiers. These are people paid to stand on their feet. Uh, they ask, uh, they say, are you Jesus from Nazareth? And he responds in such a way, he uses the, the very title, the name of God. He says, I am he. And it causes these Roman soldiers, paid to stand on their feet, to fall to the ground. They literally fall to the ground because they're in the presence of the only one who is able to just say a name and cause soldiers to fall down. And what does he choose to do with all that power? He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't call fire from heaven and angels down. What does he say? He says, take me, arrest me but set my disciples go. He takes all of his ability and chooses to lay it all down for you to be lifted up. So Jesus is the most trustworthy one the cosmos has ever known. That if, you, if you're hung up about submission, I get it. I'm hung up on that. But certainly we have to get to a point where we have to consider the words of Jesus who says, as I've submitted my life to God the Father, would you do the same for me and for, for others? That's the question. Is Jesus trustworthy? Resounding, yes. It's a perception. When Judah, my son, who's now five, was three years old, uh, this little toy car uh, just stopped working, and, and he's just started uncontrollably sobbing, upset. Uh, he just could not fathom what was wrong with the gift that his daddy had just given him. And I knew, oh, it's probably the batteries. So I, 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 I actually bought the batteries this time. I rent and get the batteries. He's screaming in the other room. I come back and say, Judah, I got the batteries. It's okay. And I put it in and I put it back together. It's just the batteries. It's just the batteries. And I put it in. It starts back up and now it works, but he's still sobbing. The problem in that moment for him wasn't the batteries. It wasn't the car. It was his perception. 
He couldn't fathom anything beyond what he just saw. He didn't realize that he had a father that actually one out of ten times plans ahead and gets batteries. He, in his three-year-old mind, couldn't fathom beyond what he could see that I'm going to comfort him and that he's going to finally be okay, that one day actually he's going to forget about that thing and not care about it anymore. But he had just a perception in the moment of what he just saw. We don't grow out of that, do we? Some of us think that, gosh, if I just got that promotion, if I just got that job, if I just got that part, if I just got that person, if I just uh, lost this weight, if I just gained this weight, if I just looked this certain way, if I just had this certain thing, if I just lived in this zip code. It's not about any of those things. It's not the batteries. It's not your looks. It's not your job. It's not your Facebook status. It's not any of that. It's your perception. Think about how many people were at the foot of the cross. Jesus is in complete agony. Did you know the word excruciating was a word they had to make up to describe the pain on the cross? Crux, cross, X, out of, pain out of the cross. They had to make up a new word. And we use that word now for a hangnail. We've so changed that. How many people at the foot of the cross said, what good could come out of this? They had a perspective of, Oh, I guess he's not able. Oh, I guess he's not who he says he is. Would the Son of God, would the Creator, would the Judge, would the object of worship? Ah, I don't get it. Walk away. Now we, 2,000 years of hearing what God had to say after the fact about that event, have a perspective to say, oh my gosh, the most excruciating moment in human history, the the most tragic event of human history actually was the salvation of the world. Oh, we've got a perspective now because we have God's view on it through Scripture that, okay, this makes sense. But the problem is that we don't have uh, the Bible for you to figure out what's on the other end of that job interview. Uh, what's on the other end of that diagnosis? Oh, oh I'm, actually we do. Oh, I'm sorry, actually we do. We do have scripture that describes what's on the other end of that thing that we're wondering or the, the other side of that thing that we're, that we're worried about because here's a number of things. Romans 8, Paul says that, that God works together for good those who are called according to his purposes that, that ultimately, no matter how much you mess it up in that job interview... No matter what you do, if you've given your life to Christ, God's going to work it together for good. And so there's actually a choice of submitting your life to say that, you know, I have no idea how this is going to play out, but I'm going to submit to to believing that, God, you are good, that you're able, that somehow I'm not going to see it, maybe even until I'm with you in your presence, but you're going to work all this out. But there's a second way. Uh, Jesus very clearly says, don't just hear my words, but hear them and put them into practice. The difference between your life and that is someone who builds their life on sand like a house and it just crumbles down when the forces of life come in. Or if you do the things I've called you to do, if you submit to my way of life, you've built your house on a rock that no matter what comes, it's not going to be shaken down, destroyed. And here's the tough thing. You have a choice daily to submit to one of many things. Are you going to submit to uh, fear? Are you going to submit to how you think 
the best way it's going to be played out would go? Are you going to submit to uh, whatever it might be that somebody says, uh, not believing you're going to do something? Or are you going to submit to how God says, this is how I want you to live? Now, if you make that choice, even if you don't have the perspective of how it's going to play out, you know that God's going to work it together for good. He's going to, he's going to honor your faithfulness. Now, here's the tough thing. It's going to look on the outside, and the world's going to say that you are not using common sense. The world's going to say, why would you just tell the truth in your workplace because that just costs you your promotion? The world's going to say, why would you not let your significant other give you their whole selves even though you haven't committed to them completely? Uh, the, the world's going to say, it's just a white lie. No one's going to be hurt. No, no one's going to know. You know, the world's going to say, you know, actually, if you step out in faith and if you share your faith in the workplace, you're, gonna, you're not just going to not get the promotion. You're going to lose your job. And here's the craziest thing, and that gets me to the, the declaration. Jesus lived his life with such obedience, with such perfect submission, that, that the world looks at it and says, that doesn't make sense. And yet it was through that that not only was he elevated to the highest place, given the name above every name, that not only was he obedient to death, he was exalted, defeating death, and now is at the right hand of the Father. But he actually does something for us. I want to show you something. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Open those Bibles back up. And there's this fascinating moment where the writer of Hebrews, I always have such a hard time finding Hebrews. It's after first and second. Timothy. Oh, you're already there. Where is it? Nine, seven, you're, you're giving them a run. 973? Getting slow, Ron. Okay. Verse 7. Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, now just pause there, Jesus has no beginning. He's existed for all of eternity. Perfectly God. You can actually see a picture of Jesus all the way back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And yet he stepped out of the comforts of heaven in the form of a human. Still fully God. Fully human. So in the days of his flesh, his reference to those 33 years that he walked this earth. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, if you just look at that, you might say, what? Uh, okay. Uh, I thought Jesus prayed and he still died. And one of the places in which he does pray is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested. He's about to go to the cross. And he prays. He's, he's filled with such anguish. Literally, Scripture says that he's sweating blood. His soul is feeling the weight of all that is before him. And he says, Father, take this cup away from me. That was in reference to what Isaiah said many, many, many years later. But earlier, it was the cup of wrath, which was the cup that, that God's enemies would drink. In judgment, and he says, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will 
be done. He was perfectly obedient. He didn't say, oh, it's all going to work out. Nor did he not pray. It was this messy wrestling. He says, God, please don't let this be, but I trust you. Don't let this be, but, but your will. And the amazing thing, that he was heard. Did you know that God answered every single prayer that Jesus prayed? And you might say, well, no, 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 he died. Yes, but that only lasted for three days. He prayed to the one that would save him from death. Oh, he was saved from death. It was temporary. And it was required to, to consume death, to defeat death for all of us. And here's the amazing thing. You would have every prayer answered if you only knew what God knew. If you had God's perspective on things, if you actually knew the things that were best for you, every time you prayed, God would say, yes, absolutely. Think about that for a moment. The reason why many of us, myself included, get no's or not yet's or not in this way is because uh, we pray with a, a three-year-old's perspective. Here's the declaration. You have the question, the, the the perception shift. Here's the declaration. It's so counterintuitive, but this is the life of Jesus. If you want to soar, you've got to submit to Christ. If you want to reign, you've got to resign from being the king of your life. If you want your life, you've got to die to yourself. It's so counterintuitive, but here's the amazing thing. That's how you soar. That's how you reign. That's how you actually live when you say, not my will, in the same way Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Now, very quickly, here's how it then spills out into our relationships. Go to Ephesians 5 very quickly. And as we round home here, this is uh, one of those sections of Scripture being in verse 21, and it goes all the way into chapter 6. I won't go through verse by verse, but this is where sometimes people have distorted, distorted Scripture and they've leveraged Scripture. They've said, Scripture, I want you to submit to me rather than the other way around so that I can use Scripture so that others submit to me, so that I can be king, so that I can be on the throne, so that it can be your life for mine. Now, Scripture for many, many uh, centuries didn't have chapters and verses. We added that after the fact for ease of reference. Now, unfortunately, some translations have put, you know, like, titles of headings, those were never included in the original manuscripts, but, but often some of those Bibles put things like this, rules for Christian households, and they put it right before verse 22. And people would go to that section, and they would say, oh, right there, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. Woman! <laughs> oh, that's happened. And it does happen. And it so distorts what God is saying. It so misses the verse before that. Take a look. Verse 21. Be subject. Some translations say submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know those mobiles that hang from a ceiling like above a crib? It's like anchored in the ceiling. It's got things that are coming down. I want you to anchor into the ceiling this. Every human relationship, every human relationship, people you work with, your friends, your neighbors, 
your family, kids, parents, every human relationship, Christ is saying, if you want to live, if you want to thrive, then you live a life like this. My life for yours. Not your life for mine. My life for yours. How can I look out for your best interests? How can I respect you? How can I serve you? How can I care for you? How can I give of myself and my resources for your thriving? Anchor that in the ceiling. It has to start there. And then he goes into examples of human relationships where this then plays out. And he talks about husbands and wives. He talks about children and parents. He talks about slaves and masters. And what's so fascinating is he goes into how this then, this mutual submission plays out. He then talks about husbands and wives. He spends three verses on wives and nine verses on husbands. And it's a mutual submission. And it talks about loving husbands, that you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. So you have no excuse to say, woman, that is a distorted view of Scripture. Then it goes into parents and kids. And some people have leveraged this and they say, look, right there, verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Kid. And we distort that for ourselves. We miss what it says right after that. Verse 4, and fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. This is a mutual submission. I'm telling you that if we could grow as a church in actually practicing what a life submitted to Christ looks like, and if it actually began to spill over into our marriages, into our parenting, into our workplace, with our family and with our friends, all the brokenness of gender inequality in the workplace is going to get fixed. The fatherlessness in America is going to get fixed. Uh, the, the abuse is going to begin to be called for what it is. There's no education program. There's no legislation. There's nothing other than the power of Christ and in through individuals in the church that can change society. And it has to begin with us. And we can't live our lives on the throne saying, Christ, submit to me. You submit to me. Scripture submit to me. It's got to be the other way around. I want to spend 10 years on this, but I'm out of time. And that reminds me that we are so much more than just an hour on Sunday. I love how Kathleen, if you didn't catch this earlier, she says, if you can commit to anything, commit to reading God's Word. That's where I've found very clearly what God longs for me to do. How he longs for me to live. And I realize in the ways that I've been off and I have to repent, which means to turn and to, to go the other direction, I realize that, I, that God lovingly forgives me. Great quote came in this week from Len Tiso. Uh, old, old quote from a gentleman by the name of William Barclay. It says this, Christianity does not think of a person finally submitting to the power of God, but rather it thinks of him as finally surrendering the love of God. Speaking of perspective, uh, in the 1800s, there was a gentleman by the name of Horatio Spafford, a phenomenal businessman, lawyer, married, five kids. Uh, in the same year, his only son died of pneumonia. 
uh, and his business was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire. His wife and four daughters uh, head on a trip to Europe. He was supposed to be on that ship. Says, you know, I've got to attend to some business-related items here in Chicago, and I'm going I'm to meet you there. On the way there, uh, their ship runs headlong into another Scottish ship, begins to sink. Four daughters didn't make it. Anna, his wife, survived, was rescued by a, a sailor. Sends a telegram to the U.S., to Horatio, and says, I alone was saved. What to do? He said that he took that many years later and he framed that and put it in his office to daily see. All, all is lost. I alone was saved. What to do? I mean, just for a moment, try to wrap your mind around that, the headspace of that man who gets on a ship to meet his wife, having lost his business, all of his kids. And as he is traveling across the Atlantic, making his way to and through the spot where his beloved daughters died, he writes this song. Talk about answering the question, Jesus, are you trustworthy? Talk about a shift of a perception to say, I, I don't see the full picture, but, but you are able and you are good. Talk about a declaration. It is well. It is well with my soul. God knows exactly what you're going through. As you join in, as you let these words minister to you, let it be Christ's love that breaks through. Thank you.